know, mothers have such a profound influence. We've all been told of Abraham Lincoln's words that everything that he was, he owed to his mother. There was a young man whose mom said, if you go into the military, you will be a general. If you go into a monastery, you'll become the pope. And the guy said, but he said, I liked to draw. So I became Picasso. And he said, all of my success, I attribute to my mom. John Newton, he was a person far from God, but he humbled himself in a situation and was saved by the grace of God. And out of that situation, he wrote the great song, Amazing Grace. In his biography, he talks about coming to that moment of passing from darkness to light and being saved. And he said the seeds of the gospel that led him to humbling his heart before God in that moment were planted in his heart by his mother. When you think of the profound influence of John Newton and even the song Amazing Grace, it all tracks back to a mom who made a difference. My son is 18, my daughter almost 16, and my youngest is 10. And the profound influence that their mom has had on them is amazing. And so we want to recognize all of you today as moms, and we want to bring a message about influence. And so Kelly and I are going to team up on this, uh, but I just want to say a special happy Mother's Day to you, Kelly, on behalf of our kids. Would you come and join me, and let's bring this message today. Good morning. I would like for all of the mothers to please stand right now. We want to show our thanks and appreciation to all of you. Happy Mother's Day. Now, remain standing for just a moment. Remain standing for just a moment. And I'd like the moms to now have a seat. And all the grandmas and great-grandmas, please remain standing. Yay! <laughs> now, grandmas, you have a seat, and the great-grandmas remain standing. Great-grandmothers. Wow. <laughs> are there any, any great-great-grandmothers among us? Any great-great-grandmothers? <laughs> it's a great day to show appreciation to those who have marked our lives. It's also a very uh, challenging day for many people. Today, I have a bright, bright spot in my heart for my three kids, Ryan, Lindsay, and Connor. And there's a little sadness because of my mom, who has not been with me for the past 28 years. And so as I would approach this day, it, until I became a mom, it was a very challenging, very tough day. And then even after they were born, it was bittersweet, but I'm thankful for her, and I'm also very, uh, very aware this morning of those who may be with us today here who are struggling and who also share in that type of loss, and I just want you to know that uh, my heart goes out to you, and, and someone identifies with that too, and, um, and no doubt our moms continue to influence us, even though they're not physically with us. They are very much with us. And um, for those of you who 
maybe have lost a child, that I cannot imagine the pain of that. And today, as you sit here uh, with a heavy heart because of that loss, and I want you to know that we pray for you, and there is a special grace that God has to touch you and to minister to you on a day like this and all throughout the year. For those who are still believing for that promise, still believing and have waited and are anticipating that day, we pray for you too. And we thank you that, uh, I thank God that he knows that time and has a special grace for those who are having to wait longer than they really, really want to. And so we just remember all of, all of you today, all of the ladies and, and the roles that you play in the lives of so many. As I thought about it, <clears throat> motherhood this past week, I was reminded of how in John 15, the word says that Jesus is, the father is the vine and that we are the branches. And as we are engrafted and a part of that vine, then we produce fruit. And it reminded me of the connection that a mother has with that child, that unborn child through the umbilical cord. And I thought, well, how cool is that? It's like a, it's like a vine. It's that whole concept of, of that connection. And, and the umbilical cord has that vein that carries the blood to the baby. And then there are also two arteries that then take from the baby what it no longer needs. And I thought about how through the word and through the connection to the, to the father, if you will allow me to use that illustration, you know, the word says, in him we live and we move, and we have our being. And so the life of God flows to us just simply because we are in him. And what a beautiful connection that is made there. And productivity and fruitfulness. In John 15, it said, he said, I want uh, you to be engrafted in a part of me so that you'll know my love, so that you'll know my joy. And so that you'll bear much fruit, and not just any kind of fruit, but fruit that remains. Not fruit that's here and and looks good for a while, but then it, it has no point. But he said, I want you to be a part of me so that you will bear fruit that remains. And what an powerful, powerful influence that we have as moms. And to think that in that nine months of development, prenatal development, that everything that that baby needs, I remember my doctor telling me when I was pregnant with Ryan, I was, you know, we, they give you the vitamins, and I'm not real good about remembering to take stuff. You know, I just really am not a really good pill taker. And so I remember asking all these questions, you know, and, and finally he looked at me and he said, look, this baby's going to get what it needs. Now, your feelings may drop out. <laughs> And you may not have teeth when it's over with, but, but that baby is going to get from you what it needs. You're, you're designed to do that. What an amazing process that the Lord, our God, who could not believe in God in just the, the scenario and looking at, at giving birth and that baby being developed. So I'm just excited that we can be a part of God being uh, that life-giving source to us. And, you know, I know we think of God as Father, and, and I do, and I refer to him as, as he. But in my own situation, he has been a mother to the motherless. And although we don't view God, although he is neither male nor female, we 
we think of him as he. And believe me, that's, that's my concept of God. But in this sense, that is that side where God totally understands and ordained for a purpose the role of a mother and knowing how to give life and how then to take responsibility to, to remove the things that aren't necessary and the things that would harm us and we no longer have use for. And so the picture of the umbilical cord to me is just like being engrafted in the vine and receiving that life from God. It's powerful to think that although we are, may not be natural uh, mothers in terms of having natural children on this earth, that we can have powerful influence as women. I was reminded of the movie uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding. Does anybody remember that? Of course, I had to wait for it to come out so I could see it at the house. But anyway, uh, it was a very, very hilarious movie. And I'm reminded of the scene where they were in the diner and the, the mom and the aunt, uh, who was worth seeing the, the price of the ticket to just see her, we're discussing with Tula's dad uh, how this would come about and, and what role she needed to take. And so Tula was there and very, very nervous because her mom and aunt had it all worked out there. And I'll never forget the mom looking at her and saying to her, saying, Tula, he is the head, but we are the neck. And she said, the neck can turn the head any way it wants. <laughs> oh, that's the best Greek I can do. Sorry to all you Greeks. What a hilarious moment, but what a true statement. Now, there is a strength and a God-ordained plan in that, and I believe that the man was given that headship because we need that leadership. And then the women were given that power of influence and never mistake that those are both powers. <laughs> but there is a dark side. <laughs> Praise his name. <laughs> but there is a dark side to that, and it can be used in that in a way that is uh, inappropriate and although we've been given that power ladies and girls we have to watch that we always use that always under the lordship of Jesus Christ because when that steps out of bounds then it becomes unhealthy and it becomes destructive when it's used in what God designed it's beautiful and it's powerful and so as a lady we can have influence to many spiritual children, no matter whether we were actually their physical, natural mother, biological mother, or not. My grandmother today is worshiping the Lord in a church in Marlowe, West Virginia. How I wish she was here. I wish you could know her. She'll be 87 in a couple of weeks. And when I was two years old, my mom had to go back to work, and so Grandma moved in with us. She had been a widow for several years, even at that time, at a very young age. And so she moved into our home, our little home, and she became my caregiver as well as for my sister. And the, the investment of her life into mine, the value of it could not be calculated today. I could never put into words all that she has meant to me. 
I woke up most mornings to the sound of her prayers and to the sound of great gospel music playing in our home. Great, great environment. and atmosphere setter was my grandma. One of the best cooks you'll ever meet in the world. <laughs> but I remember it's when I would come home from kindergarten and she would have my grilled cheese made and, and, um, and a really good lunch made for me when I'd come home half a day from kindergarten. And rather than just giving me that grilled cheese and, and uh, saying, here's your lunch, eat it, she would sit down and she'd say, you know, now David, there was a boy named David and, and he, he took one day, his dad sent him out to, to find his brothers and he made grilled cheeses for him. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, but it does say he took bread and he took cheese. And so in her creative mind, she would just say, you know, Jesse made uh, grilled cheeses for the boys, and so he sent David out. And she would talk about a young man who went out and, with faith in God alone and what he could do, brought down a giant that was threatening the people of God. And she used, at that very young age, every opportunity to just make God come alive all around me. She would, every time I go out to my flower beds and I start pulling weeds, I can hear grandma talking about how weeds have to be pulled out and how it's down in the root and you can't just pull it from the surface. But she would, she would talk to me about life and about the things that she was just doing in everyday life. And she showed me God and everything that she did in such a beautiful way. She has lived since 1983 on our district campground. In West Virginia, I'm from the Potomac District, and it's comprised of three states, Virginia, where I was raised, and then West Virginia and Maryland. And so our campground is a beautiful campground up in the hills by the Potomac River. And so when my dad remarried in 1983, uh, my grandmother moved into her own home uh, there on the, on the campground. She had raised us there, had taken my sister, me, and my two cousins there every summer of our life to family camp, and we grew up going to camp meeting with her. And so she had great memories. The best memories she had of our spiritual experiences were right there. And so she chose to live there. And she still lives there. And so many summers, her, her delight and her joy has been when those campers come on that campground. And she is there. She'll work. She would, used to work there and, and uh, clean and, and help out on the campground and cook some. But those night services, she was ready. She was ready to pray with those kids. She, liked, she didn't know what they were singing half the time and <laughs> didn't understand some of the words. But she was right there for one reason, and that was the time at the altar. She was there to pray with them and to see them know God in a special way. And so... Many people today, not just me, not just Joanne, not just Tom, and not just Chantel, but many people today call her grandma, and she has had powerful influence on them. It reminds me of a, the man who served as the youth director out there for years. He would counsel a group of boys at his camps, and he said to me one time, he said, he said, you know, one day out of the week, I get my boys up really, really early. And he said, I walk them down to your grandma's house. And he said, it's usually before the sun comes up. But he said, I'll walk my group down. And they're kind of tired. They don't understand. But he said, we'll stand outside her house. And we'll just listen. And we can hear her praying from inside. And he said, I just know that a lot of those boys have never heard their mom pray. 
in their home, and they don't know what it's like to have a grandmother who will call out on God. And he said, so I take them there so they can have that experience of hearing someone really call out on the Lord. And so I think about the years of powerful influence that she's had, and I just want to encourage us today to use the power that we have to influence not only maybe the children that are in our own home, but so many around us are watching and looking and and wanting to know God in a personal way, and we can be a part of that as we influence them. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Let's continue to talk about that influence. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy, and we'll begin reading in chapter 1. 2 Timothy, thank you for reaching for your Bibles. We'll go to chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, the Word of God says, I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Verse 5 says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. What a verse of influence. Turning over to chapter 3, let's look together at verse 14. Paul has been talking about evildoers and evil men. Notice the contrast starting in verse 14. But you, it's filled with emotion, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Look at that again. You can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Let's work our way from this verse back to verse 4 of chapter 1. We see the influence on Timothy. Paul recognizes it and tracks it back to his mother and his grandmother. Much like what Kelly has said. Paul says in verse 14, But you must remain faithful. He says, remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. When Paul says, you know they are true, he is saying, it has formed in you, Timothy, more than just belief, it has become conviction. And so knowing his mom was that influence, I would say to every mom here, number one, don't let... The culture change your convictions. We have come through a season in the life of the church where we once again verified our beliefs. Some of the great books have been Case for Faith, Case for Creation, A Case for the Resurrection. And we've gone once again and made sure we understand that what we believe is built on fact. But I think it's possible to pass on beliefs, but not necessarily pass on convictions. 
It's not enough to just believe. Those beliefs need to form as convictions. Convictions are convincings of the heart. So that it gives a magnetic north in what I call the land of the blur. The lines have been blurred. It was once life versus abortion. Now it's abortion over life in our culture. It was once gay versus straight. What do you believe? Now it's gay over straight. It was once materialism versus responsibility, but our culture has placed materialism over responsibility. We have blurred the lines. And what we need is to raise a generation that not only has a set of beliefs, but they have convictions. Convictions that are more than just preferences, but that are convincings of the heart that right is right and that it's always right to do right regardless of cultural influence regardless what government says or media says we have formed in them as Timothy's mother formed in him convictions so that they remain faithful to what they have been taught where he says you know they are true over in chapter 1 Look at verse 5. He says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Here's number two. Don't let the majority compromise your authenticity. Somehow when Peter became a man, he's around age 35 at the writing of this book. There was something in Timothy that just made him say, I will never be a phony. The Greek of the words genuine faith, or in some versions, sincere faith, it shows that Timothy would refuse hypocrisy with a passion. Now that type of authenticity, genuine sincere faith, Paul says, was passed on from his mother and his grandmother. Do you see the influence? Now, you don't sit down with your kids and say, we're going to do a session on integrity, and I hope you get it. This is more caught than taught. This comes through modeling. This, This comes through being the same way at home as I am at church. I remember listening to Paul Youngie Cho, who then became David Youngie Cho, pastor of a huge church. He has now uh, resigned from that position, but hundreds of thousands attending his church. And he said to his wife, let's move to a different home. She says, well, let's move into the church. Matter of fact, why don't we just move right into the pulpit? I want you to build the pulpit big enough. Let's just live there. He said, what are you talking about? She said, the cho behind the pulpit is a lot nicer than the cho at home. And he talked about the convicting power of God that came on his heart about developing a duplicity. And that he, being a man of integrity, would be the same everywhere all the time. Authenticity 
is caught, not just taught. As Timothy grew into a man, he had this attitude that said, I will never play both sides. I will never talk out of both sides of my mouth. I will be real. Oh, to raise a generation that would catch an attitude that refuses hypocrisy, that refuses phoniness, that can see it and sense it and be repulsed by it, that we will be genuine, sincere in our faith. See, we're talking about influence today. And influence is in direct proportion to character. Obviously, Timothy's mom had extraordinary character. And out of that, she influenced her son. You see, no one can be influence neutral. We all will be influenced. And then we will all have an influence. No one can be influence neutral. We're going to have an influence whether it's for good or evil. Now the word of God says you are the salt. That's influence. You are the light. Romans chapter 12 around verse 21 says don't be influenced by evil but influence the evil. Speaks of our mandate. Remember being on a plane and it was it was about the time Connor was turning five and he was sitting by me. Kelly, Ryan, and Lindsay were, you know, we couldn't sit together on that flight. So we were scattered about, but Connor and I were together and the stewardess went through the routine of seat belts. And then should the cabin lose pressure, you know, the oxygen mask will come down and parent put yours on first and then put it, the one for your child, put it on them secondly. Connor perked up when, when she said that, he said, what does it mean for the cabin to lose pressure? I said, well, you won't be able to breathe. I said, we're going to need assistance. And so this, that oxygen mask you saw, that little yellow cup, you're going to put it over your mouth and you will be able to breathe. He goes, well, why did she say, put yours on first and then put mine on? <laughs> and I'll never forget it. He goes, is this a safe place for kids? And, and, you know, she continued to do the drill, and then we kind of got going, and we hit some turbulence. And I guess Connor thought, "Uh uh-oh, could the cabin be about to lose pressure? And he leaned over, and he said, put mine on first. (laughs) This uh, college president was on a plane, and the cabin did lose pressure, and down came the mask, except his did not descend. And people are grabbing those masks. And putting them on, and he's sitting there, and he's trying to get his, and he can't. And so he looks at the person next to him and says, let me have some of yours. And that person who, who he didn't know said, had the mask on, said, get your own. <laughs> so he finally worked with it until he got his. But, you know, we can inhale, we can take in the influence of God. Bible studies, ABFs, church services, Bethmore studies, small groups. We're, we're taking it in. 
But we have to remember those around us who may be suffocating in a culture that has lost its spiritual oxygen. And we need to share. We need to help them. We need to. Do you realize that your influence will affect someone dramatically and maybe even eternally? Out of Timothy's mom came this conviction, this authenticity. And then there's one that I don't want to pass over. It's very, very important. It's there at the end of verse 4. Paul says, I really want to see you again. And, and I remember your tears as we parted. Timothy's about 35. Timothy was anything, if you study his life, he was anything but a weak, soft kind of guy. He was a man's man. So I I want that to be clear. And just a a quick study of his life and some of the things that he did and endured will show you real quick. The man was not weak. He was not soft. But listen, he was tender. Even as a man... He understood the appropriate place for tears. Don't let the culture change your convictions and don't let the majority compromise your authenticity. The crowd will always be going in the wrong direction. Here's number three. Mom, don't let hard times make you hard. Because we need the influence of tenderness. Not soft. We don't need to raise girls or boys to be soft. But we need to raise them to be tender. Tender to the leading of the Spirit. Tender to those around them. Tender to a culture that needs God. Tender. And it is so easy to become hardened to become to where nothing phases us. Life just happens and it tends to harden our sensitivity to God and to people. And I I see something powerful, powerful, that though Timothy, his mom, because you read nothing of a father in this situation, there were hard times. It did not make her hard and she passed on an influence of conviction, authenticity and appropriate tenderness I asked Kelly to join me and we want to bring this message to a challenge, listen as she completes this point on don't let hard times make you hard I remember the day that I that I knew in my heart that the decision to release my resentment and, and, and bitterness toward the Lord, that that decision was going to, that really, it really came down to my children and how it would affect them even more so just than myself. I remember being in the, in the parsonage that day 
in our first church. We lived in a parsonage, and Ryan was about two and a half, and Lindsay was an infant. And I remember how the Lord impressed on me that I wasn't going to be able to go much longer the way that I was. And even though they were little and didn't understand, and let me just say that although many of you know uh, what happened in my life as a 13-year-old, I lost my mom in a, in a drunk driving accident where we were hit from behind uh, while returning home from vacation. And so as, a, as an adult and now as a mom, I was having to deal with these, th- this hardened heart that was forming in me pastor's wife and the pressure of that of, you know, who do I go to and, and when, when is their time to focus on this with me? You know, the Sundays and Wednesdays roll around and people, I'm here to minister to people. And so it was kind of a vicious cycle kind of a thing. And I remember though, looking into Ryan's little eyes and knowing that it was just a matter of time before he may not always, he may not have understood what was going on, but he would begin to be influenced and affected, and so would Lindsay and any children that I had after that, by what was going on in my own heart. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever been through something that you don't understand. I'm sure we all have. But when you come to that place where you realize God has actually he set me up to make a choice, even that can become something that makes you angry because you can say, I didn't ask for that to happen, and now, you know, I'm having these feelings that I know I shouldn't have, and yet... You know, now I have to, to make the choice to let this go, and how do I do that? And this was the choice that, that I got to make, that I was able to make. And first of all, it, it is, is involves trusting the Lord when something has been taken. Mm. Trusting the Lord when someone or something has been taken. The next level of that choice was being able to thank Him for what He had given until I could trust him with what had been taken, I wasn't in the position to even see what I had been given. There were so many miracles and provisions of God that surrounded that horrible tragedy. And sometime I will have to write a book or share, share them the things that happened that were such blessings and provision and miracles of God. But for years, I couldn't focus on them and be thankful for them because I was still dealing with the fact that my mom had been taken from me. And so the choice then to not be hard and to keep that tenderness and then to pass that on, that tenderness on to our kids, comes with, number one, choosing to trust even when something or someone has been taken. And number two, to then be able to be thankful for what I've been given. You see, I don't have my, my mom here with me today, but I cannot tell you the moms that the Lord has given me through the years, the moms that maybe I wouldn't have taken as close uh, a notice or paid as close attention as maybe I would, uh, should have if my mom had been here. If I knew my mom was there and I could just call her for anything, I might miss that that administrative gift that I saw in her, or I might miss that, that gift of just hospitality and, and, and the ability to just host people and make them feel comfortable. Or I might have missed that incredible sense of humor that that one girl had that I knew back in, you know, 10 years ago, or I might have missed that ability to be a friend and someone who's there for people. And so I've had people around me all my life now that I've been able to glean from and draw from. And 
you say, well, I have my mother and my grandmother. Everybody's in place, and I still do that, and I'm sure that you do. But maybe God knew something about me that I would not be as tuned into the people around me and, and just would not know how to value uh, their impact and their contribution to my life. And so I'm thankful that when I came to the place where I said, God, I trust you, even with what I don't understand and with what seemingly has been taken from me, I thank you for the, what you have given me and for the, the provision that is only, could have only come from your hand. And I'm thankful for what you provided, and I trust you with my life. Don't let hard times make you hard. And this is something, just while you were talking, I was, I was thinking about this, that on yesterday... As during the afternoon, I wanted to talk with, with Ryan, our oldest son, who is back in Memphis. And I called him, and when he answered, he was whispering. He says, I'm in a meeting. I will call you when it's over. Well, immediately I knew where he was. Out of the church in Memphis, we had started a camp for abused and abandoned children. They all came through Department of Human Services. So every summer, we took 35 children. And they were either in just simply the care of the state or in foster care. And for one week, we did what was called Royal Family Kids Camp, a tremendous ministry. And it's just to give these kids a memory of being being treated royally and that they are royalty by the love and the power of God. It was just a few years ago that Ryan worked his first camp just there in the kitchen, you have to be a certain age before you can even be a counselor. And about a month and a half ago, Ryan came to me and he said, look, I know we will be moving. There's just one thing that I want to do this summer. There's a worship camp that he's attended the last few years. There's some other things going on. He said, but if, if I can't do all the other things, there's just one thing. I want to work my last year of Royal Family Kids Camp. And so he, he said to me he, last night, he said, I'm a counselor this summer. So he'll go back and work that one week. And I think that's amazing testimony of just what you're saying. Had you not made the choice to be tender, I don't know that our 18-year-old would have been spent his whole Saturday being trained to go work at a camp for abused and abandoned children. I want to say to you, don't let hard times make you hard. Stay tender because we need that. Don't let the culture change your convictions because we need more than just the facts of our beliefs. We need convictions in the land of the blur. And we need your authenticity. You see, when you live an authentic life, your kids have the freedom to ask you questions. Your home becomes a place where they can say, I don't understand this. And, you know, they can pose a question and there's no, no threat about that because when you're real, you, you discuss reality. Kelly and I want to show you a picture. It's coming on the screen at this time. It's an amazing picture. That is you. That's the assembly. That was Mother's Day 1945. And so they made this incredible picture, and you see all of these moms. You see all of these little girls. And now all of these years later, there are some of those who have gone home to be with the Lord. Some are still living. 
But it's amazing that on this day in 2009, I'm showing you this picture. So in a sense, every one of them have a lingering legacy that, that is still influencing us today. And should they take a picture of all the moms and young ladies in this room and show it many years in the future, what kind of legacy will be lingering out of your life? You've referenced movies. I call them films because I'm so much more spiritual than you. <laughs> so I watched I'm this. Just real brother. I'm just I, I, I watched this film some years ago. I watched a film called Dead Poet Society. And the teacher took the students out and they saw these, a picture of people that had been in the school years ago. And the teacher said, lean in and listen because they're whispering. And as the students leaned in, he says, do you hear them? He said, they're saying, carpe diem, seize the day. Live an extraordinary life. And Kelly and I come today just to challenge every mom and every person in the room. You will be influenced and you will have an influence. May it be an extraordinary, spiritual, high-impact influence is our prayer.